Well, as was already said, my name is Ben Smarzinski. I'm the intern at Mount Calvary. I've been there just about a year now. Um, it's been my privilege to serve the folks there, teaching on Wednesday nights and, and preaching occasionally on Sunday mornings. And I'd like to thank you for the, for the privilege of being here this morning. If you turn in your Bibles to James and chapter number 1, James and chapter number 1, this is where we're going to be this morning. And I always like to, if I have a teaching or preaching opportunity, I always like to just pick a book and start it, and I think that's the best way to go about preaching. And so if I have the privilege to come before you again, we'll, we'll just keep making our way through James. But this morning we're going to look at the first four, uh, first four verses in James. We're going to look at James chapter 1 and verses 1 through 4. It reads here, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Let's pray once more. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have it uh, so accessible to us today, that we are able to read and understand it, that we are able to afford uh, a copy of your word, Lord, and and that many of us, I'm sure, have, have several Bibles in our houses, Lord. We thank you for the availability of your word to us. We pray that we would not neglect to read it. We pray that we would not neglect to hear it this morning. I pray that you bless me as I preach, bless these folks as they hear me. I ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I'm sure that all of you are familiar on some level with the name Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, perhaps you know him through his iconic roles on TV and, and movies as the, as the Terminator or, or uh, the movie The Predator. He, he's in all these different movies. Maybe you know uh, about him from his brief political career. He was the governor of California uh, from 2003 through 2011. Or, or maybe you don't know of him at all, but... but if you do know about him, you know that, that he has a reputation as a bodybuilder. If you've ever seen pictures of him, he's just this, this hulking, muscular guy. Uh, he started bodybuilding as a teenager, and he went on to win the most prestigious event in bodybuilding, the Mr. Olympia title, seven times in his life. And on top of that, the second most prestigious event uh, is named after him, the Arnold Sports Festival. And so clearly he is a man who knows how to get in shape, how to build muscle, how to, how to stay in shape, how to, uh, to, to exercise and do the right things to be a, a physically fit person. And he's also a proponent of what is called the mind-muscle connection. And he sums it up in these words. He says, I think the biggest mistake is that you go to a gym and you go through the motion, but you don't really have your mind inside the muscle. I have seen the guys training with me also four or five hours a day, But they look bad, and the reason they look bad is because they didn't concentrate. And what he's saying here is that you can go to a gym, you can go through all the exercises and all the workouts, and yet if you're not focused on the muscles that you're developing, you're not going to grow from it. You're not going to profit from it. You're just going through the motions and coming out the other end without being any better for it. And I think this is very similar spiritually to what it is physically. Because what James says here is that God sends us trials, not to distress us, not to hurt us, but so that we might develop our Christian character and develop our patience and our long-suffering. 
But so often we as Christians give in to despair and give in to, to fear. And we just passively sit through trials and when we finally come through the end of them, we, we have not become any better as Christians. We have not developed ourselves as Christians at all. Instead of, uh, like a bodybuilder, using these trials that come into our lives to exercise and to develop ourselves spiritually, we just gum through them passively and they do not do us any sort of good. And why is this? It's because we did not intentionally use that trial. We did not look at that trial as a, as a way to develop ourselves and get ourselves into the spiritual shape that God would have us to be in. And so in my, my desire this morning in this message is not to help you just go through trials, get through and sit through to the end of, of the difficult circumstances in your life. But my goal is to help you profit from the difficulties you have in your life. And to actually, through difficult circumstances, even the darkest hours of your life, come through as better Christians than when these trials began. And as this is, we are looking at the first verses in this epistle, I think it's fitting to look at the uh, introductory material we find in verse 1. James says, he, he introduces himself, he says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Now it's interesting, we see that the author of this letter introduces himself by the name James. And it's interesting because he, he doesn't add any qualifiers, he just says, this is James. And it's interesting because this was a very common name in the first century in, in ethnic uh, Israel, uh, Israelite circles. And so for him to uh, just say, my name is James, and expect everyone to know who he is, he must have been very prominent in the early church. He must have uh, had uh, some rapport. He must have had some authority in the early church. And in the Bible, we find only two men that, that would really fit this bill, that would be able to be identified by the early Christian church by just this first name. The first candidate would be James the Apostle, James the brother of John. Um, but this is not likely the, the author of this epistle because he was probably martyred before or even during the time this epistle was written. So the only other candidate that we have who, who probably wrote this letter would be James the brother of Jesus. And that makes sense with, with everything that we see historically, and that's been the traditional interpretation, and I, I see no reason to overthrow that here. And so it seems most likely that the author of this epistle, the, the, the person whom this epistle was named after, was James, the brother of our Lord. And we see that it's directed to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Now, who, who is that talking about? Well, sometimes the New Testament takes terminology that, that used to only apply to ethnic Israelites and applies it to the whole church, to the idyllic people of God. Um, but that's not likely what's happening here. What's probably happening when, when he says the 12 tribes here is he's probably talking about actual ethnic Jews. And there's several reasons we think this. The, the first reason is, is this was a very, very early epistle. It was written around the mid-40s uh, A.D., and uh, as an early epistle, the, the Christian church at this time would still be primarily made up of, of Jewish people, ethnically Jewish people. And so it's likely that when, when James addresses the 12 tribes, he's talking about literal Jewish Christians. And this, this is also backed up by the fact that um, this, this epistle just reeks of Old Testament wisdom literature. It is written in a very, very Jewish flavor. And it's so much, in fact, that it has often been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And so we have the context here. 
We have the author, it was James, the brother of Jesus. We have the recipients, the 12 tribes scattered abroad, uh, Israelites who by various persecutions, whether before Christ or after Christ, uh, had been scattered to different nations. But we know that despite the fact that our situations do not line up perfectly with the ones that, that the original audience would have shared in, we know that there is no difference between Jew and, and Greek within Christ. And that we need wisdom just as much as they did originally. And this becomes abundantly clear as we dive into this passage. When we get to verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now we may not fall into the same exact trials that the early church fell into. We, not, we may not be persecuted for our religion We may not hunger and and starve for want of food, as we will see uh, many of James' audience would have. But we still fall into various trials here. We still fall into difficult periods of our lives. And James says that when we fall into trials, when we fall into difficult circumstances, we are to count them as all joy. Now this is very counterintuitive, isn't it? This is very opposite to what we naturally uh, 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 drive to. This is not natural for us to count our our sufferings as all joy. Because when you wake up in the morning one day and your car doesn't start, you can't get to work or you can't get to the doctor or whatever, do you count that all joy? That's not your first reaction, I'm sure. When you get a call from the doctor who says the, the test results are not looking so good, do you count that all joy? That's not going to be your first reaction, is it? It's very counterintuitive to take these difficult circumstances in life and to count them all joy. In fact, we often react in the very opposite way. We become very easily disheartened and devastated and even angry at God when he brings us difficult circumstances in our lives. But James tells us that we must not do this. James tells us that we must count it all joy when we fall into these trials. But why does he say that? Why, why should we be joyful when we fall into difficult circumstances? Well, he, he explains in the next verse why. In verse 3, he says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The reason that we may count it all joy to fall into difficult circumstances is because each circumstance is an opportunity from God to train ourselves spiritually to develop endurance and to develop patience. As I I made those uh, bodybuilder metaphors in the beginning of the the sermon this morning, it's an opportunity for us to go through the the spiritual gym of trials and to do the exercises God has ordained for us and to whip our our spiritual lives into shape. And James is not saying that you have to pretend or feel like you're happy when bad things happen. He's not talking about an emotion that you must feel when he says joy, that you must count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He's not saying you have to feel good about it. But notice he says you must count it all joy. You must consider it a joyful thing when you fall into trials. Because again, you know that each of these trials is an opportunity for you to grow in grace. What's the point of all, this, all these trials? What's the point of growing in endurance? Is it just so that in the future we might go through trials a little bit better? Well, he tells us what the end of patience is in verse 4. He says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I have another 
quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger, a bodybuilding is such a good metaphor for this spiritual reality. He, he said that people would often puzzle over why he was so excited to go to the gym, to go work out for hours on end. He said, people always ask me, they say, why is it that you're working out so hard? You always have a smile on your face. The others are working out just as hard as you do, and they look sour in the face. Why is that? And he says, I told people all the time, because to me, I am shooting for a goal. So every rep that I do gets me closer to accomplishing that goal. Every single set that I do, every repetition, every weight that I lift will get me a step closer to turning this goal into reality. That's exactly what James is saying. This is exactly how James is saying we must view our own trials. Not as something bad, not as something that God has sent to torment us or to make us unhappy, but as an opportunity to reach the goal of Christian perfection and Christian maturity. Because this is what we are called to as Christians. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, God says to Abraham, I am God Almighty, walk before my face and be blameless. Now, oftentimes, we'll, when we, we read that verse, we fall all over ourselves to make sure that we clarify, well, we can't reach perfection in this life. Uh, we are always going to have sin. And that's certainly true. And yet that is not to distract us from the fact that God calls us to strive for the goal of perfection in this life. The fact that there will always be sin, that we will never, uh, while we walk this earth, earth get to uh, the state of perfection, that should not distract us from the fact that every difficult circumstance God puts into our life is an exercise, is a, is a, is a workout to get us closer to that goal of maturity and perfection. Every single time we have a bad day, every single time we are stuck in a financial rut or in a relational strain, every single time that happens, James says this is an opportunity God is using to bring you closer to himself, to bring us closer to that high mark of blamelessness. This is why we are to count our trials as joy, because they are opportunities, if we use them wisely, to bring us to God. And I think that this is clearly the conclusion to which James points. But then the question is almost, almost begs itself, well, I understand that. I understand that, that trials are opportunities to grow glo- closer to God. But how can I use these trials that I'm in? How can I use these medical or financial or whatever situation you find yourself in? How can I use these trials for the glory of God? How can I use them to develop myself into a better Christian? How do I work these muscles? How do I let patience have its perfect work? Well, let me give you four things this morning. The first thing that we must do if we are to profit from our trials, if we are to develop the muscle of patience and endurance, the first thing we must do is to resist dissatisfaction. We see the, you think about the ancient Israelites in the wilderness. You think about all that they went through. They had been slaves for years and years in Egypt. And yet, instead of allowing that trial to grow them more in grace, to grow them closer to God, they did nothing. They just sat there and they waited the trial out. And so by the time it was all over, by the time God worked the miracle that that was the exodus, the first thing that they got, that they did when they got to the wilderness was to complain. They said, Moses, we don't have any water. Moses, we don't have any food. 
Moses, we don't like the food that God gave us. They, they, all they do is complain. Because they did not use their trials to develop themselves and get themselves closer to this, this spiritual perfection that we are to attain to. And this is the same danger that we are in when we are in trials. And when we refuse to rest in God, to trust in God, when we give in to dissatisfaction, we are allowing the trials of life to roll over us without any sort of profit. Like Arnold said, we go to the gym, we go through the trials, and because we do not actively use them for our betterment, we are not profiting from them at all. So the first thing we have to do is to resist that dissatisfaction. Again, when you get that phone call from the doctor, when you turn the keys in the ignition and nothing happens, we resist dissatisfaction. We must replace that dissatisfaction with something. We don't want just to void. We don't want just to be neutral. So second of all, after we resist dissatisfaction, we must trust in the Lord. If you would, please turn to Psalm 13. I want to show you this. Psalm 13. David in the Psalms is often our example of a godly man in a pinch. And in Psalm 13, we actually see this example very clearly. Psalm 13. And notice here the difficult situation that James describes himself as being in. Psalm 13 and verse 1. He says, How long, O Lord, Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. Well, the first thing we, we notice here is David is not painting himself as if he is happy that he's going through this difficult circumstance. He's not pretending like he's happy that people are seeking his life. And that's what's going on here. People are looking to kill him. And he brings this distress to God. But look what he says in verse 5. After he has laid out his circumstances, he says, But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Despite the circumstance that he's in, David does not just leave off complaining. He does not just just keep complaining until God answers and then come out of the trial just as bad as when he went into it. Instead, in the midst of the trial, he says and proclaims his trust for God. And that's exactly what he does because He doesn't start writing Psalm 13 in the midst of of a trial, in the midst of, of being hunted by Saul, and then finish it when he gets out of that trial. But this whole psalm was written when people were still seeking David's life. And despite that, he says, I have trusted in God's mercy. My heart will rejoice to see his salvation. He trusts in God in the middle of the trial. Psalm 34, if you just flip over a couple pages, this has been a a wonderful blessing to me in seeing how we are to trust in the Lord and why we are to trust in the Lord. You see, it's the biblical example of David. But this, this verse is a precious passage. In Psalm 34 and verse 8, this is probably familiar to you. 
David says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. And then he, he explains why. For there is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. David says that the most capable beasts, the strongest, most powerful, the kings of the jungle, the young lions will starve to death before God allows his people to go without any good thing. Do you know what that means, Christian? That means that God can provide for you better than anyone else, better than anything else. That God is going to look after you, even in the times of your trials, and so you can trust in him. You cannot just try to not be dissatisfied, but you can actively place your trust in God. Because all over the Bible we find these these affirmations that God is going to take care of us. You don't have to turn there, but Matthew 7 and verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. And then a few verses down in verse 11 of Matthew 7, he says, If you being evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If we who are sinners know how to give our children good things, how much more does the thrice holy, omniscient, omnipotent God, how much more able is he to give us good gifts? And Jesus promises that when we ask, it will be opened. When we seek, we will find. So even in the darkest hours of our lives, we can actively trust God through our trials. And through that trusting, we will develop our patience and endurance. And what a a better example of trusting than Jesus Christ himself. He did not call us to do something that he himself did not do, but he always relied upon the Father. We remember in the garden, what, what does he pray? He prays, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Even before he went to suffer the the most pain and the most shame and the most agony that any human being has ever experienced, he places his trust in the Father. He says, I know that my Father will bring me out of this and that I will be better for it. He knew that his father would glorify him. He put his trust in the father. And and just as Christ did, so can we. Whenever we come into these trials, we can trust God knowing that he will take care of us and knowing that this trust will grow patience within us. and That this patience will help us in the future trials. It will help us build our spiritual muscles and get closer to that goal of Christian perfection. But then another important principle comes out in, in, math, in Psalm 13, and as I just read in Matthew 7, and that's that we must also, in the midst of trials, pray, for God, pray to God for deliverance. We must not expect that God is going to deliver us from our trials unless we ask him to. And that's not because God can't do this. That's not because God's not able to deliver us or because God doesn't know how to deliver us until we ask him. But in the Bible, the appointed way of getting help is to ask God to help us, to deliver us from our trials. We see David doing it. We see Christ praying to the Father and commanding us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. So by praying to God, we cement our trust in him more. And so you see how our spiritual muscles are being developed. 
You see, as you go through trials and you more and more put off dissatisfaction, put on trust in God, and pray to Him more, you see how you will become uh, more able to endure the trials. You become more, uh, you will lean more upon God, and you will continue, as you go through life, you will continue to get better at going through trials. And you will reach for that goal of Christian maturity. And lastly, and fourthly, we must remember the blessings God has given to us. I just quoted Psalm 34, uh, taste, or we just read it, taste and see that the Lord is good. So often the reason in our lives that we become discouraged and we, be, we despair and lose trust is because we neglect the principle that we are to look at the things that God has given to us. We are to examine them and remember through these good things God's faithfulness unto us. I'm sure you know that hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's a beautiful hymn, but so often we do the opposite, don't we? We look at the things that trouble us full in the face, and because of that, everything else, all the other good things God has done for us, become dim. And so what I'm telling you this morning is that if you are to profit from trials, if you are to come out of them better than you came into them, you must remember the blessings that God has given to you. Even in the darkest of tunnels, you still have blessings that you can turn to from God. Whether that be your family, whether that be your health or your finances, whatever that may be, God has given you good things. Even when it feels like your life is falling apart, trust me, look around. And you will see many blessings from God. Even if you are suffering severely in one area or the other, God has still blessed you in countless other ways. God has still blessed you. So I guarantee if you, if you take your eyes off the trial, not to forget about it, not to pretend like it isn't there, but if you take the eyes off, your tri- off, off of your trials to, to stop making it the center of your existence and look at the things God has given you, you will taste and you will see that the Lord is good. And so this is how we actively go through trials. This is how we develop our spiritual muscles, even in the darkest night of our lives. We resist dissatisfaction. We trust in the Lord. We pray to God for deliverance. And we remember the good things he has given us, even in the trials. By doing these things, we will develop the muscles of patience. And by developing the muscles of patience, we will get closer to the perfection that God calls us to strive after. We know that we'll never be perfect in this life, but we still have a duty to to pursue that, to try to get to that mark that, that, that Christ has set, the example that Christ has set. I have one more Arnold Schwarzenegger quote. Uh, he says, you can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in your pockets. Now here we're not talking about success, but we're talking about Christian maturity. You can't get to the top of the ladder of Christian maturity. You can't even climb it at all if you refuse to go through your trials with your hands in your pockets. You must set your mind even before difficult times come. You must say, I am going to take an active stance when the doctor calls and it's bad news. When I get laid off from my job, when... when even when, when someone that I love dies, I am not going, I'm not going to harden my heart. I'm not going to just sit there with my hands in my lap and wait for the trial to be over. I'm going to actively trust God so that I might closer, 
get closer to that goal of Christian perfection, of Christian completeness, as James says. And so, Christian, I ask you this morning, do you want to develop your spiritual muscles? Do you want to get in good spiritual shape? And you must use the exercises and the trials that God sends your way to develop yourself, to draw closer unto God. James himself says it best in James in chapter 4. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I call you to this this morning, that if you do use your trials, that God will develop you and he will cause you to be a more spiritual Christian. He will cause you to come closer to that state of being complete and lacking nothing. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you once more for this tremendous opportunity to preach to these saints, Lord. I thank you for the opportunity to come here this morning. And Lord, I, I pray that you'd help each and every one of us. Lord, I need this message more than anyone in this room. That no matter how difficult trials get, no matter how hard the circumstances of life may seem, yet if we do not actively trust in you, actively try to develop our muscles of patience, we will go through the trials and we will not profit anything. Oh Lord, I pray that this would never be us. I pray that no matter what comes our way, we would always set our minds to trust in you. And through that, come closer to that goal of spiritual maturity. Lord, I ask that you help us to do this this morning. Even those who are right now going through hard times in their life, I pray that you would comfort them with this, that all things work together for good and that all trials can be used for your glory. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing hymn 642, Be Thou My Vision. And if you'd stand as we do this.